Well, again, it's wonderful to see all of you out on this beautiful winter day. Don't you think it's beautiful when there's not snow this deep and slush and ice? When I walk my dog late at night, which I, I do usually after midnight, and these starry nights, and I'm bundled up to the you know, gills. I've got every, every coat I own on probably to stay warm out there. I just glory in that. It's beautiful. And I'm thankful that uh, we're not being limited in what we can do because of the weather. But today we have the opportunity to consider some things. You see the umbrella on the screen, and I want you to note, my dear wife Carol is up here, and Karen Snow, I think, introduced her a moment ago. Who, who introduced you? Was it Karen? Here's Carol. She usually helps me pick up my wardrobe and such, or at least tells me what she thinks of it. I want you to know I color coordinated my tie with that. You know, see, I, I did this today. Okay, that was me. Now, she's already pointed out some spots and things on my suit that I've got to get fixed up. But, so she, it's better when she sits further back. She can't see quite as well. Some of you guys can relate to that, I guess, somehow. But I want to give you a big picture overview of where we're going to be going in these next six weeks because the journey that all of us are on and whether we accept it or understand it well or not is something that God has designed specifically for us. God has prepared a path for our lives and we know the end, right? The path that God has designed for us ends where? In heaven. No tears, no sickness, no death, no sin, no Satan. All those things are, are done, and we are all really looking forward. And the older I get, the more I look forward to that. Do you guys relate to that? It's like, I can't wait. I talk to more and more people like, Jesus, come back today. I'm, I'm, I've had it. You know, this is enough of this. But it's the journey that leads to that that we're going to be talking about in depth. And I think it's very important that we have, I guess, a scriptural, biblical understanding of some of the whys and wherefores of the things that we go through. Because we do face storms. Storms hit our lives. And if we have an understanding and we're more prepared for them, then we're able to weather them in a certain way. If they take us by surprise, um, if they sneak up on us somehow and we don't have our umbrella, if we don't have our storm windows up, if we don't have the basement windows sealed properly and the waters rise and come in, then we are overtaken by them and we are frustrated. So I want to talk a little bit about how we're going to get there today. If you all should have gotten a beige-ish color sheet like this, which is kind of an overview of the whole class we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. And I'm suggesting, if you'd like, this can either be a lecture time, and we're going to have discussion around the tables each week here. Um, you can participate in that way each week. You're welcome to do that. If you want to go a little deeper in between... Uh, weeks in between the Thursdays, you would have the opportunity to do so. I've suggested a couple of resources you might want to consider in the bottom of this page, four different books, all of which are currently available in our CCLB Church Bookstore. Not required, you don't have to, but I think one or more of these books might be a great resource for you, and I put those in the order on here, Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey is a great book. How many of you have actually read that book or have a copy of it? Just a few of you. It's a great book. It's one that I'm, in the back of the sheet, you'll see I've suggested some readings that would either be from one of those recommended resources or particularly at least read the scriptures that are going to be associated with the next five weeks after today. I'd really, it would help you kind of come in with the framework and a mindset of what we're going to be talking about. So again, not required. This isn't a class for credit. Okay, we're not going to be taking a test. Do you guys want tests at the end? Do you want a test? No, you're done with that stuff, right? Yeah, I was done with that a long time ago too. I'm glad of that. But the fact is, I believe God wants to help us, and I'm confident that six weeks from now, 
each and every one of us will have a better handle on what's going on in our lives because things constantly change, don't they? We think we get it all sorted out. We think we get everything figured out. We have a sense of, okay, I can handle this. I can deal with this. I've adapted, I've adjusted, and I'm okay now. And then something else changes. You know what's happening is through the difficult, challenging circumstances of our lives, we grow. And God grows in us his character. And he grows in us the image of Christ. And that's why we get back to that equilibrium. But then he wants to take us the next step. Because his goal is not just to get us physically, as it were, or even spiritually to heaven. Do you know that? He's going to get us to that place. That's a real place that has streets of gold, and it's, a, it's an experience that will blow our minds and it'll just engulf us in the glory of God. He's not just going to get us there. He's going to get heaven into us in the process. His work is to form in us the very image of Christ. Do you ever read the Gospels and look at Jesus and be amazed at how he handled himself, how compassionate he was, how wise, how patient he was with his disciples and how he dealt with things? Well, that's the image that God has and says, this is my image of the perfect human, and I designed mankind to be this, and his Holy Spirit begins a work in us the moment we open our lives to him, and he begins that transformation process. Philippians chapter 1 says to us, he... God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. There's a process. You're under construction. So can you say this with me? God is working good in me. And I want to say this with me too. There's something therefore good about me. That's a beginning place. We all come with this mindset of how bad we are. We come into Christianity, many of us came to Christ because we heard enough stuff about how bad we were and that we're going to go to hell if we don't do something about it. Any of you hear that kind of preaching at any point in your life? Just a few. And so we are taught and conditioned to think that God thinks that we're bad. The fact is he knows everything about us. And he dealt with that sin nature at the cross of Christ. And now he is working for good in us. There is something good and beautiful and wonderful happening inside of each one of you. And for those of you that have a spouse or a dear friend near you right now, I want you to just kind of glance over at them and just think about that. Something good and wonderful is going on in them. It kind of helps us. Kind of let that sink in a little bit. God is working. Now, those of you that have lived around Chicago for most of your lives, as I've done, uh, have experienced this thing called road construction. I call it road destruction because I'm not sure what they ever get done with it. And it's really a mess when things are under construction, right? When a building's under construction, only a small amount's over here right now, but when this building was under construction, when it was being built, and when your homes were being built, when roads, it's a mess. There's dust everywhere. It's hard to travel. It's hard to function. But the end result of that construction is something better. God is working in you to produce something that will last for eternity. And that's what's important. Thus, the storms, the trials, the difficulties we'll be talking about over these next few weeks have a purpose. So I'll say it a different way. There's nothing random about your life in Christ. There's nothing accidental about it. There's nothing that God just kind of goes on vacation and then something happens and he's like, oh my goodness, what happened? I better fix this. There's nothing random. 
do something specific and intentional because you are in the hands of the good shepherd. Your life, your past is covered by his blood, your future is planned by his design, your eternity is secured by his salvation, and he has a plan that he is working out. The trick to it, the difficulty is he doesn't show us those later chapters before we have to live into them. We'd all love to be able to, God, can I just like, look, what's the point of this? What are you doing here? How do, why does this, this doesn't make any sense. Why do they have to go through this pain? We'd love to see the end, but then we wouldn't live out the journey. So God will give us just enough light through his word to live out the time that we're in. Now, he does speak to us prophetically and corporately through the scriptures about the ultimate end of humanity, but our personal lives, so often we get wound up trying to understand what's going on. So that's one of those big questions. We're going to be coming at a number of different angles here. So I want us to do a little group exercise. We'll be doing one of these type of things, and I don't mean the kind of exercise like jumping up and down, though if you feel like that, you're free to do that. There's room over here. Um, on this handout, which has, is this color, again, color-coordinated somewhat here, I tried, that's on the front of it says causes and purposes of suffering. I want you to take a few minutes here, look at the list, and I want you to rank these things that you think in your life or that your view of your life circumstances represent how you view the causes and purposes of suffering. In other words, when something bad is happening or you perceive it bad, what do you think of it as being? And if there's a blank here for other, and you can fill in some other things that I didn't suggest on this list, Who'd like to share for your table what you came up with you feel like the top three? Who's ready to share some? Okay, Alice has some. Why don't you let the mic come over to you so we can hear it. Where is the mic? Where'd they go? Oh, Mike, come on, Rick. Come on, bring it over here. Yeah, you have it back there, Rick. You're, you're holding out back there. I thought Steve was working, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, our table decided that, number one, the most common uh, thing that we have is human mistakes, imperfection, mm. and poor choices. Okay. We came out with that as number one. Number two was God's sovereign will to make us stronger. Okay. And number three was the result of an evil, sin-filled world. Okay. So human involvement, God's plan, and the sin that's prevalent throughout the whole human race. Okay, that's good. For any, I, I would like to add one other thing, though. For any of us that have gone through any uh, bad physical problems or other problems, I sort of go along with opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Martyrdom or healing. Mm -hmm. That's good. But Thank nobody you. else agreed with me. So Okay, <laughs> just you. Okay, good. All right, who else is ready to share? Three on behalf of your table. Jack, you ready? I'm picking a Jack is in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have the consent. We didn't do a consensus, but I can get what I have. <laughs> okay. Uh, my, my first choice is the uh, God's sovereign will to make us stronger. And the second one was human mistakes, imperfection, poor choices. And the third one, opportunity to glorify God, but crossing out martyrdom and just having healing. Okay. As the okay, so going through physical suffering is a common denominator there. Who else is ready to share and wants to share what you, your groups came up with? Okay, well, you know what? I want to walk through these a little bit with you because it's important that we have a framework for suffering in the first place. 
one of the great, greatly discouraging notions, not truths, but notions that comes, that when things are going well, God is blessing us. And when things are going what we perceive to be badly or we're suffering, that God is mad at us or God is upset or God is somehow you know, not blessing our lives. And that creates this dissonance in our thinking because guess what? How many of you ever signed up for I'll have more suffering? <laughs> Did you have to take a college class about getting, finding ways to suffer? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's something that is part and parcel to our lives and to varying degrees. In a room of this size, a group this size, 100 plus people, there have been varying degrees of suffering, some of it physical. Some have faced greater physical challenges and diseases or sicknesses or accidents or falls or whatever else the case may be. Some have struggled in other ways, and so it doesn't always seem fair, does it? Some people, see, and it came up at the table here, is what about the victims of a tsunami? That suddenly their lives are taken from them. What about an earthquake? What about a, you know, a sudden act of God, as insurance companies call them, so they don't have to pay for it? But the fact is, what do we do with that stuff? Well, there seems to be an imbalance. The reality is, and Jesus teaches it in the Sermon on the Mount as he sums it up. He says, the storms of life are going to hit everybody. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and following. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person or wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, meaning a lot of water was rising, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then he goes on to say, But everyone who hears the words of Jesus and doesn't put them into practice is like a foolish person, a foolish man who built his house on sand. Same rain comes down, same streams rise, same winds blow and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So what Jesus is trying to help us see is storms are part of life. You can go to a climate that has less of them. You can go out to the desert where there's less rain. And then you get rattlesnakes and scorpions and you get other stuff crawling around. And I think I'll take stormy weather instead of scorpions and snakes personally. The fact is, it is part of life. When we accept the fact that we cannot choose a utopian path for our life in this world, we begin the process of being prepared to deal properly with it. Now, how many of you have lived around Chicago area most of your life? Now, did you know that utopia used to exist? You know this? Very close to here. We were all very close to utopia, and some of you didn't know it. I lived right next door to it. I grew up in Oak Brook here. Oak Brook Terrace was once, the name of that town was once Utopia. Did you remember that? Some of you remember that? I just learned that a while back. I thought, now, isn't that cute? And, and, and they didn't, a, lot, a lot of people didn't move there. But there is no utopia that pain-free, suffering-free, easy living in this world. People think if they get enough money, they can get enough comfort, they can get away from, you know, avoid all of it. Well, Jesus says, no, the storms are going to come. You've got to have a framework and be ready. Not afraid, not living in dread fear, but have a proper framework to understand how to do it. So let's talk through these things a little bit. Then Jesus um, says many other things. But let's say we, the punishment for sin. I'm just going to ask a general question. Do we recognize that God's punishment for sin on Adam and Eve was what? What was the punishment? Well, they got expelled out of the Garden of Eden, which was a pretty nice place. But what was the real penalty? 
death. Death, sickness that leads to that, entered the human race because of human sin. And not just because of the human sin, because of God's righteous judgment against it. So we do grow old and suffer and die because God said, if you sin, you're going to die. And that created, that changed things at that moment. So it is part of it. I'm not ranking these. I'm just going through these. The consequences of sinful behavior. Let me talk about this a little bit. I believe there is God-ordained difficulty and challenge, the mountains ahead to climb. And there's some that we just cause and bring upon ourselves. If we don't take care of ourselves, if we let our immune system get run down, if we stay up watching late night movies into the wee hours of the morning, morning, get back up again and don't get our rest. It's a proven fact your immune system's not going to function. By the way, I learned this. Uh, getting on airplanes is not always the healthiest thing to do. And there's some great studies that show if you have, for those people who had eight hours of sleep and get on a plane, their chances of getting sick is almost nil if their immune systems are otherwise healthy. If they get five or six hours of sleep before you travel, your chances of getting picking up whatever's on there are greatly increased. So... Word to the wise here, plan afternoon flights so you can sleep in in the morning. That's what I've been doing for years when I learned that. Because you can't hold your breath for three hours on a plane, okay? But the fact is, some of the suffering that we all have experienced is our own fault. You can blame Adam and Eve for a lot of it, okay? And guess what? You're going to meet them someday. So go easy on them. Don't go too hard on them. Because these Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints that we see, uh, that we kind of make fun of sometimes, and how could they do that? And how could they? Well, guess what? You're going to see them. And they're going to know your name just like you know theirs. But, but put that aside for a second. Some of the suffering is because of their sin. Some of it is because we have sinned. We've made some poor choices. So some of the things that we experience are our fault, and some of it is by design. And learning to separate those two things. The proverb says to us, when a man's or a person's own folly leads their way to ruin, their heart rages against the Lord. When we make mistakes that lead to consequences that God didn't intend or plan for our lives, and then we get mad at God for doing that. God, you made me this way. That's why I did that. You didn't give me the strength not to, and that's why I did that. That's a, a conversation that's going to get very silent from God's point of view. It's to come back to the say, accept responsibility for the things that you've done that have caused consequences Grow from it, learn from it, make better choices, gain wisdom, and then go forward and avoid those. Here's the key word I want to come to. There is a lot of suffering that we can avoid in life using wisdom. God did never put a premium on suffering saying this whole life is going to be a miserable, terrible, difficult time, and I'm going to cause pain and difficulty, and then it'll take you to heaven and everything will be happy. He doesn't say that. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to abundance. And he brought people to that. So we need to learn to understand that their suffering has a purpose in God's plan, but it's not the purpose of our lives. So sometimes when we go through an extended suffering, an illness or a challenge or difficulty, we start to get a, a mindset. And there's almost a theology of suffering that some have adopted. It's like, well, it's just going to be miserable. I just got to grin and bear it. I'll just be glum and I'll pretend like I'm happy when I'm at church. But, you know, basically life's terrible. Mm -mm. there's a lot of suffering we can avoid. Let me give you a couple of examples of that biblically. When Herod, the wonderful leader that he was, not, uh, was trying to kill the infant Jesus, right? What did God do? He warned Joseph and says, take the child out of here. The, Jesus and his family avoided the suffering. 
That was meant for evil. That would be something that I believe the enemy, Satan and his powers kind of figured out, well, let's go. He's, uh, uh, this is the son of God. All they heard the angels heralding him and they figured out, we don't know exactly what's going on, what he's up, God's up to here, but let's kill him. So he puts it in the heart of Herod. Satan puts it in the heart of Herod. Let's kill him now. God help them avoid. So some of the suffering that we have been accepting and enduring has nothing to do with God's plan. It's just our choices or things that we could avoid or learn to avoid. Um, and like, for instance, how many of you ever stuck both your fingers wet into an electrical outlet on purpose? I've never done exactly that. Well, I did it intentionally a couple times to make it shock and stuff, but that's a different story. But I learned not to play with a distributor cap on a car back in the probably the late 60s, early 70s. I was doing a tune-up on my mother's car, which I was toying around with, and that big V8 had this big, huge distributor with eight wires on it. And I learned that when, if you stick your hand on that thing and pull one of those wires out and connect to it, it's pretty strong charge. I got this jolt and knocked me back out of the car, okay, out of the, under the hood there. It was very painful, and I decided I don't want to do that anymore. Okay? Some of the learning experiences we've had of suffering are meant to have, help us have that response. I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's a good thing that you learned that so you don't put your hand back into that form of suffering. So I want to have you have a healthy understanding that there are designed seasons of challenge and growth and what we perceive as suffering that God has ordained. But they have a time limit on them. They're intended for a lesson. Some, how many of you have ever taken a very difficult class, either in high school or college or technical school or something? Ever been through that? And you get into it and think, how in the world am I going to get through this? The only good news about it was it was only 15 weeks. There was one semester, and you're going to get through it. The t- trials and tests and suffering God ordains is for a limited period of time, and his intention is to help you get through it. Across a room like this, and you can look at my life and any one of us, the kind of suffering that we've had to endure has been significant. You don't get to our stage of life without facing some things that you would otherwise have chosen not to put yourself in. What do we do with that? Well, we have a mindset that says, there's a purpose in this, God. I may not understand what it is now, but I do believe you have a sovereign will in this matter to make me a stronger person. And you don't see the strength right away. And that's the important part I want to talk about here, that there are other forms of suffering, being persecuted for doing God's will or to glorify God as we maybe go through a hospitalization, a surgery or an illness and, and have to really lean into God so often, and many of you would attest to this, as I visit so many people in hospitals, I am just blown away that many people are in those places of suffering, coming through a surgery, and they're blessing the nurses and doctors as they come in. They realize they're there in God's plan. Somehow he is using them, and for the roommates that they have, I've, I meet people uh, from this church and for many years of doing this that are praying for the people that are their, the, you know, their roommates in the, in the hospital and being a blessing wherever God puts them. So some forms of suffering we wouldn't choose for ourselves, but God has ordained for a really good purpose. Few of us in this room have been persecuted probably physically for doing God's will. We're just getting psychological persecution now, aren't we? You Christians are too narrow. You Christians believe the wrong things. You Christians, you know, aren't nice, so we don't experience that. But in the biblical times, in the first century, the Christians, they weren't just facing psychological persecution. They were facing physical beatings, imprisonment, and death to be Christ followers. So they had to have an understanding what suffering was about is a little different than ours. And I thank God that we don't have to have that in our nation. We're still free to practice our faith and our religion the way that we do. But the reality is it's part of it. So once we accept that, 
then our response to it can change. And I want you to take a look at the second um, page on the, on the handout I gave you. One of the most common responses when we face an untenable, confusing, painful circumstance that we don't feel we deserve or didn't bring upon ourselves is the why me question. Right? Why me? So-and-so or those other people have it easier. And that's that illusion that somebody else is getting an exemption. By the way, there are no, there's exemptions on, for, on tax returns for certain things. You get exemptions on certain things, your homestead exemption for your real estate taxes. You get out of that kind of suffering. There's no special exemptions that anybody gets a straight path here, a clean, easy path ahead in life. God has not promised that to anybody. And so when we start feeling like, why me? We have to realize that there is no suffering or no path that God leads us down that is not relatively common. But the why me, let's talk about that a little bit. Have you ever, and you don't need to show it, raise of hands here, but have you ever felt that? It's a feeling. We are emotional creatures. God created us to, and when we experience pain and we don't know what to do with it, we do ask that question. My encouragement to you when you feel that is twofold. Number one is to ask God questions. You can ask him the why questions if you're ready to listen for an answer from him through his word and by his spirit. There's a big difference between asking God questions and questioning God. One is defiant, how could you let this happen? And the other is, Lord, help me understand why this is happening. I don't get this. And you may not get an answer right away, but engender that dialogue, that conversation will open up the opportunity for him to be able to communicate. Shaking your fist at him, you're going to get tired shaking your hand. You're going to get tired of that pretty soon. He's not going to wear you out intentionally, but when you're feeling sorry for yourself and saying the why me, if we ask it the right way, I believe God will supply understanding and he will grant wisdom. James tells us in chapter one, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you don't know what's going on, if you're confused, he says, ask God. He will give you the wisdom if you trust him for that. So if any of you today find yourself in one of those moments where nothing is making sense, you're confused, it seems unfair, it seems unbalanced, engender the conversation with God and, and, and ask the questions and get ready for the answers. He may say something as simple as he said to me many years ago when I went through a season of suffering, son, I did what I had to. And I got it. It was like, okay, <laughs> you did what you had to because you have a good purpose in mind for this. I didn't need a further explanation. And sometimes that's all we need. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement, but have the conversation. Second response is, like I said, is to blame God for the consequences of our sins. That, that'll be a short conversation. It's all your fault, God. And he's like, well, no, let's go back to Genesis and go all the way through and we'll figure out it's not God's fault. Um, now, let's talk about the devil a little bit here. The devil's a real being. And by the way, God created him. This is one of the great theological questions I'm often asked as a pastor and as a teacher is, well, if God is good, the devil's bad, why did God create him in the first place? Okay, do you ever ask that question? Have anybody asked you that question? Well, I have a lot of reasons, I think, but one of my theology professors, and he's a great, great guy, wonderful guy, his name was Dr. Truett Edsel Bobo. Okay. <laughs> Now, Truett, first of all, is an unusual... Anybody ever heard the name Truett before as a first name? Okay, it's, it's a, Edsel. I mean, I, I guess I'm not sure where that... And then Bobo. I mean, all I know is this guy had to grow up pretty tough. Okay, <laughs> he had to get a lot of... 
But he, when he was asked those tough theological questions in a large gathering about this size of future pastors, and he'd get those questions, he would say, I don't know. Ask God. That was his common response. He didn't have to say that often, but when he was asked one of those questions, the devil is part of God's plan. Hate to say that, but he made him. And guess what? He not only made him, he's in the first page, he's in the first scenes of the Bible. He's not some cast-off character that gets suddenly appears, and he's not some rogue agent from another galaxy that breaks into God's plans here. He is placed right next to Adam and Eve in the very beginning. So that's how we know God has a plan to use him for something. Now, having said that, he's evil, and his minions who have rebelled against God are wicked. They don't play by the rules. They cheat. They lie. Their key focus is that they lie and try to deceive us to see things differently. But when it comes to sins or bad things that are happening to us, I want to give you a solid framework here is I am convinced that God in his plan uses the devil as our sparring partner. We are the prize fighters that God is forming for eternity to live with him, to be part of his eternal exploits. When God is the eternally creative God that he is in the next phase of things, what I, of, of eternity, if he creates another world, another universe, and has another class of beings like when the other angels and then we were created, we will be on that side of it. We'll be in the plans with him, and the devil will be completely excluded. You know that? He ends up in the lake of fire. Read the book, of, read the end. He's at the beginning of the Bible as a menace, as a deceiver, and his fate is a lake of fire at the end of the book of Revelation. And you should have cheered about that. But some of us go, yes, <laughs> get him out of here. But in the middle of all that, God had a purpose. I believe he is a sparring partner, not partner like he's helping. He doesn't know it. He's trying to do evil. But he brings temptations. He brings distraction, confusion for the purpose that we will rise up in our faith, that will grow stronger and that will overcome him. That's one of our lessons. We're going to get in uh, three weeks further down into the class, learning how to recognize how to deal with the schemes and tactics of the enemy and to learn how to stand up against all of that. We'll have a whole class to talk about that. But we cannot blame the devil for every bad thing that happens. We can recognize some of it as his responsibility. And I have to say, when I see something like what happened out on the East Coast last month, when I see the results of that, Friends, I don't see that as God's will. Any which way, you, not a chance in a million years. Do I see it the result of a fallen race of a human being who has been whatever was going on? You can psychologically analyze it. You can you know, spiritually analyze it. Did, did God think up that thought to put in that young man's heart to do that? Absolutely not. Did Satan? Yeah. To me, that's evil. That's just plain evil that was acted on when the, the towers in New York were, were taken down by terrorists. Was that God's will and plan? Absolutely not. Is it the kind of thinking that our enemy, the devil, thinks up and tries to get human beings to live out? Absolutely, yes. So there are things that happen because of him. But be reassured. In the Lord's Prayer itself, what does the Scriptures teach us? What did Jesus teach his disciples? Lead us not into temptation. We're supposed to be led away from that. <clears throat> and deliver us from evil. 
In other words, as I pray that prayer every day for myself and my family and those I care about, I pray it in that way. Deliver us from evil, evil people, evil circumstances, evil temptations, evil suggestions, the effects of other people's evil. We're called to pray that. So I believe we can, in God's economy, bypass or confront or stand against all the powers of darkness. We are meant to conquer them, not the other way around. So I want you to see yourself. I don't know if the prize fighter is an image. Some of you ladies picture yourself often, but the fact is we are the champions. We're being trained for eternity, and the enemy will be... How many of you know the name of any sparring partners, by the way, for any of the great boxing champions? Zero. Okay, maybe one. But they they serve a purpose in the backdrop. In the greater scheme of things, the enemy of our souls is going to have been discarded, punished forever for his evil, and out of the picture, and we're going to be at the center. So can't blame him, and was it Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. Guess what? Doesn't hold water with God. He might tempt you. He might urge you. He might suggest things, and we're all in the same club. We've all given in. We've all yielded to temptation sometimes, but we need to learn to say no to the devil and yes to God. So let's, raging against God, what are their responses? I think sometimes we misunderstand and we give up. We say, well, wait a minute, God, if you're so good, I've been trying so hard. I've been trying to be so good. I'm trying to live by the book. I'm doing everything you're telling me to do, and things are still bad, or bad things keep happening. It's easy for us to fall into discouragement and say, God, I'm doing, I'm, I'm living, I'm doing what you're telling me. I'm obeying. I'm trying to live within it. And so we misunderstand, and we get discouraged. And when we get discouraged, we can sometimes let ourselves sink down further into depression or even despair and say, what's the point? What's the point of trying hard? What's the point of being good? What's the point of trying to live for God if only bad things are going to happen to me? And that's where we have to watch and say, come back to that conversation with God and say, God, give me a handle here. Help me understand. I can't make sense of this. And the scriptures tell us in Philippians chapter 4 is to let our requests be made known to God and when we're, not sh- when we're praying about things with thanksgiving. In class number six, we're going to spend a whole session talking about learning how to be able to be thankful in the midst of life's struggles. Um, it's not a trite thing. It's not a simple thing. It's going to be something we're going to talk a great deal about. But Philippians says, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving, and then the peace of God, the peace of Christ, will come into you and guard your hearts. There's something that God can do that he can't always explain the whys and wherefores to us. He can't always give us a quick answer, but what he does is he gives us his peace, and he says, child, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know that feels to have somebody in a position of strength and authority in your life, whether it was one of your parents or a friend or a spouse, that comes alongside and just says, it's going to be okay. It quells the confusion. It quells... sometimes the the misunderstanding. God is saying to us through his word when he brings that peace, I'm with you in this. It's going to be okay. I can't explain it all to you now, but things are going to work out. Romans 8 says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And here's the word I want you to hear today above all. He's on your side. He's on your side. He's not working against you. He's not scheming up. Let's just make this as difficult as possible for Rick. Let's see if we can see what he does here. Absolutely not. He is cheering us on. 
And as we make those steps of growth and as we endure and grow stronger. And there's a verse I want to put up here in just a moment that will be very key to our understanding here. I'm going to go through these real quick and come, down, come back to those next week. Um, James tells us to have a mindset about suffering in James chapter 1. It's on the third page of the handout I gave you. Or maybe I didn't put that in there. I got some other stuff in there. James tells us to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is not a natural response to suffering. Oh, good. I like pain. Oh, good. I like financial challenges. Oh, good. I like a difficult economy. Oh, great. I like being sick. No, no. And that sounds almost foolish, doesn't it? If I were to say those kind of things, most of you would recommend a counselor or therapist for me or get me locked up someplace because you think there's something wrong with him. Why does he think that way? What the Holy Spirit through the Apostle James here, the brother of the Lord, who became an apostle and a leader of the, of the first church in Jerusalem um, with the Apostle Peter, tells us is, is to come to the place knowing what you know, knowing the God that's got a plan for your life, that you say, I don't get it, but God knows what he's doing. And therefore, I'm going to be happy about this. It's considerate joy. Not say it's joyful. Not say it naturally produced. Because our natural human response to suffering, pain, or difficulty is A, avoid it. B, complain about it. Or lament it. C, James says consider it. And here's the reason he says consider it. And here's that key word. It's right here. It produces. It produces perseverance. The difficult things make something happen in you that nothing else could produce. So when we start to say, this is a difficult, but this is producing something good in me, we can at least have that ray of hope. And what does it produce? The word here used in the Greek is the word hupomene, which simply is a compound word. Is to, it gives us the ability, and hupomene means to stand up under, to stand up under pressure instead of collapsing. You can't get it out of a book. You can read all the books on um, theology and all the books on spirituality and all the books on uh, Christianity and how to be a good Christian. And, and I recommend learning and growing and reading our whole life with Christ. Absolutely. But none of that academic or that intellectual processing will produce hupomene, perseverance. Perseverance is slugging it out in the real trenches of life that God has ordained. And so that's God's goal. The difficult things that we can't understand is he's trying to produce something in us. Now, Romans, the Apostle Paul says, I'll get down to this. Paul says in Romans 5, verses 3 and following, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We glory in them. And that's, you know, I'm not all there yet. And probably none of us are really all the way there. But the Apostle Paul had suffered a lot before he said this. He said, we've learned to glory in it because, same thing, we know that suffering produces perseverance. And then he'll go on a second. So it produces something. So I want you to take that word that suffering in God's economy is productive. Not meant to discourage you, deflate you, or depress you. It's meant to produce something that God wants to develop in you that will last for eternity. Some of you probably have bought buried products through the years, and um, I'll think of some examples, but if you bought a cheap product, the least cost product, you probably learned quickly that's probably not the best choice. 
in many situations. I would shop for values, absolutely, but if you buy the cheapest set of drawers and then a year later it falls apart and it's made of fiberboard and stuck together with glue and a year later all the drawers are falling out of it, you probably figured that wasn't the best choice. It was quickly put together. But if you buy fine furniture that's made out of finer woods, it's put together with better products, it's with a craftsman putting it together, those kind of things are going to last probably your lifetime. Some of you probably have furniture you've had for 30, 40, 50 years because its quality was built into it. God is designing you to last for eternity, not just this life. So the production of this perseverance quality is very important. But then Paul says this. He says, that perseverance, that Attitude of Upamani produces character, and that character ultimately produces hope. So some of you know some people you'd call characters, don't you? Kind of screwballs, goofy people that are characters. They make you laugh. They make you wonder what they're up to, that kind of thing. That's not the kind of character we're talking about here. We're talking about the quality of being like Jesus. You see, that's one of those difficult things for us to understand. God isn't just trying to make us nicer people. Well, Christians are just nicer they're just better than other people. They just don't sin as much as other people. Well, that's kind of a common notion. Now, God's goal here is to take us all the way to the finish line, is to produce in us something that is greater than we could ever have imagined. So I'll say this as we're coming towards closing here today. All of God's ordained suffering for you has been worth it. It's all been worth it. It's all produced something in you, much of which you may not even be able to see or understand. Some of it you can Across a room like this, I suspect most of you can recognize how much more patience you have today than you had 20, 30, 40 years ago. You can see that you have more wisdom. You see that you have more compassion for people who suffer. You have more understanding of, of life circumstances that you can help other people with. It, sometimes you have to look back and say, well, yeah, I actually have made some progress. Some of you are saying, well, some stuff hasn't really changed that much. Well, guess what? God has some more plans for that as well. He's not just trying to make you a nicer, better person. He's trying to form you all the way to perfection. And so all of those weaknesses, all of those character flaws, all of those things are going to be worked on at some point. So be encouraged. God knows what he's doing, and he's going to finish the work that he began. I want to share one last scripture with you. Um, and this comes out of the message translation, Hebrews chapter 12. And I love Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible. That's what the message translation is. I read the NIV and the RSV and the, a bunch of different ones when I study to prepare, but I like to read the message as a different perspective. Here he translates Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, saying this about suffering. So don't feel sorry for yourselves, or you've forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children. My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he trains. The word for discipline means trains. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. You're in good hands. You're in really good hands today in Christ. He's not going to give up on you. Don't ever let that notion come into your thoughts that he's going to give up on you. He's going to complete the work that he began, and he knows he's got the blueprint. We don't see it the way he sees it, but he's got the blueprint, and he is specifically can take you from where you are today and the long journey you've been on with Christ if you've known him for many years or the shorter journey if that's more recent in your life, but he knows the next steps for you, 
And I want you to be able to look forward with hope, look forward to those seasons of rejoicing and encouragement, happiness and fulfillment, and for those times when we have to grow some more. I want you to have a healthy balance. I want to pray with us. I know even bringing up these subjects, there's pain that some of you are currently experiencing emotionally, relationally, maybe spiritually, financially. And I want us to humble our hearts before God and invite him to touch us where he hurts. The one thing Jesus did in the midst of teaching everything else he did, he went about doing good and touching people where they hurt. He touched them. He didn't change the whole journey of their lives, but when they were suffering, his heart of compassion helped them. He didn't withhold his healing. He didn't withhold his comfort. He didn't withhold it. He supplied it, knowing that they're going to need it. So let's pray and open our hearts before him. Father, we thank you that you have designed a plan for our lives that includes times of joy, times of rejoicing, times of just celebration, but also for all of us. You designed times of challenge and for growth. And yes, even pain is part of that journey. Father, I pray and we pray together now for those in particular who are feeling that pain, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, the loss of a significant relationship, being estranged from children or loved ones. Some have recently received a diagnosis that has not been good. God, we ask you that as you work in us, Lord, and work through us, we pray that you'll touch us where we need to be touched, that you're with us every moment in this journey to supply the grace that we need, to bring the healing that we need. And I pray that you stretch out your hand over all in this place today that need healing, healing in heart, healing in mind, healing in relationships. We ask you to work mightily in that way today. And I pray that you'll lift those that feel discouraged or depressed or feel like giving up, like there's no hope. God, I pray that you'll lift their hearts out of that place to see and know that you have good things planned for their future and you are working everything together for good for those that put their trust in you. Lord, work in our hearts. Let your word resound within us and walk with each of us through this day, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and I encourage you to do the readings if you want to be kind of deeper in this, and the books are available in the bookstore today. God bless you.